All right, everybody. We are live, and we are here for our evening Yawa episode 68. 68. 68, folks. Um, we have a slightly different format. We want to start off with that so that everybody is well aware of what's going on. There's a little confusion when you change things. First of all, we're going to give a few updates, talk a little talk. We haven't seen you in a little while, and then... We'll move into what this evening's topic is about, which is specifically shotguns, what we use, why we use them, what we've used in the past, and what we would recommend you use if you want to use something different than what we recommend that we use. Process that I think one I got a, a little lost, actually, and I know what we're talking about. Nah. Okay, so um, first of all, Kelly, thanks for the reminder. We hit the record button. I appreciate you 100%. Glad to see you here this evening. And uh, I don't even know if you had said it yet, but you usually are right on top of things. So um, while we're starting this up, we want to see a little bit of the check-ins. I see a few of them coming through. It says uh, Pennsylvania, New York. What else we got? Metro of Detroit. Super exciting. Wisconsin. We've got some Wisconsinites. Arizona. Arizona. That's awesome. Uh, somebody got a new, oh, we're talking about some shotguns in there for specifically what people are are loving to do. Um, yes, Kate is a little bit unhappy. He's kind of working through it. And I know that just on that verge of like going to fuss himself asleep because he's nursed, he's clean, he's all the things. And there's grandma. Grandma's going to help. Grandma's going to help rock him a little bit. Grandma's back. She's not on vacation anymore. (laughs) So that makes things a little smoother, hopefully. Um, and that also means that you have uh, dedicated focus time from the two of us. So lucky. Should feel um, lucky. All right. So on to a couple things. First of all, we've been gone a couple weeks and we want to talk a little bit about that specifically. So a couple weeks ago, we had to take, we have an Australia check-in, South Carolina, Colorado, another Australia. Maine. what time is it in Australia? We've done this before. It's like early in the morning. Is that right? Midday, something late at night. Late I at think night. it's late at night. Late, late, late. I think is we it went two in the morning. Um, Arizona, Duluth, Minnesota, Iowa. Oklahoma. Grandma! grandma, everybody is shout out loving. to Grandma. That's right. Yeah, he just. <laughs> it was your just, presence. Yep, she just walked down the stairs and voila, he was quiet. So. I knew he was just on that like fuss himself to sleep stage. <laughs> well, Mama knows. Ethan is never focused. This is true. But the good thing is um, a couple weeks ago, well, it's not really a good thing, but it is a couple weeks ago we missed because I had to kind of travel for, um, to get the good doc to take a look at old Vexer. He was um, suffering from a broken tooth. Not a good deal. We ended up having to remove that. We shot a video. It is graphic. I am going to warn I you. I couldn't watch the whole thing. Actually. Yeah, she didn't like it. Um if you're interested in watching that and you want to watch through one eye or turn the audio off, the audio is some of the worst, the sounds of the tools and everything, but some folks like to see those things. So we've got it there. Okay. The next thing is, uh, last week we actually had Yukonuba, um, and a film team from Artera media. You should check them out on social. It's, um, R T E R R A Artera media. It's a very talented collection of guys. They came out. They've got top-notch equipment, top-notch team, and they rock and rolled through some cool content for an upcoming promotional deal that Yukonuba's putting together, as well as a few of Team Yukonuba tips. Uh, I'm the guy with the pink gun, and I did some tips. So we... It should be some cool content, though, so be be sure to check that out. Also, you can follow them on social media as well. Yeah, Yukonuba Sporting Dog. That's the big one there. Um, We want to take a second to say thank you to the patrons. That is the largest sponsorship of everything that we do online. Uh, There are 550, respectively, patrons right this minute. If you aren't a patron and you appreciate what we do and you want to find some way to support us, there are two main avenues that we really, really appreciate. One is joining Patreon. You can ask us questions about dogs, about hunting, about dog training, or you can set up clear to the advanced of weekly 
video chats where we can watch your training sessions happen, give you direct feedback. That would be either Cat or I. You can make a request. We won't listen to it. It'll kind of be who is available, but um, it is fun when everybody's like, hey, I kind of wanted Cat to do the next one again. And I'm like, hey, you get me. Um, (laughs) It's true. The next thing that we have rolling is... If he's not going to get to it, I'm going to get to it because I want to start drinking this. Um, I'm drinking a Corona Refresca. These things are amazing. And I I knew it was in the evening. Anyway, these are amazing. They used to make just like you could get the guava lime all by themselves, which is obviously the best flavor. But now you can only get them in a multi-pack. Multi-pack. So you got to buy what, six or 12? 12. You got to buy 12. Throw away eight of them. <laughs> no. Drink the four. No, it's not quite like that. But you gotta throw the, away four. The, the coconut, coconut ones. lime ones aren't mm-hmm. my favorite, but I'm not a fan of coconut. So if you like coconut, you'd probably love them. Um, a bunch more check-ins here. We've got uh, looks like North Carolina, South Carolina, Bakersfield, California, Lake um, Charles, Lake Charles, South Georgia, Dakota, Texas, Pennsylvania, Arizona, wow. Eden Valley, Minnesota. Representing from everywhere, folks. We love it. We do love it. We absolutely love. It. So. Um, we mentioned, I mentioned uh, patrons. Oh, uh, the other thing, if you are in need of any equipment for training, standingstonesupply.com is the the business that we set up that we put on only things that we use and recommend. It's not just a buy all the stuff and hope it works. It is only the stuff that we either make, use, or recommend with our stuff. And a lot of times we'll, you'll see it pop up in videos. If you're looking, where do I get those things? Standingstonesupply.com. Or you can link to it directly from our website, standingstonekennels.com. There's a, you click the store button, which used to take you to a store there and now takes you to the new store. So don't be confused. And we just have a video coming out, I think Friday. That was Supposed a to come out Friday. Yep. comparison of the collars that we have on our store now, uh, flat collars mm-hmm. that we actually designed and have made um, here locally. So be sure to check that out Absolutely. as well. And then oh, go ahead. Your, your beverage oh. of choice. Oh, yeah, Get yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. So um, I got this lovely gift. It's Jefferson's Ocean, which is aged at sea. Pretty and cool. It's really cool. This one specifically came, uh, landed on, I think, five of the continents traveling around the world to be sloshed and each of the bottles that you pick out it's a different voyage and it tells you a little story about the voyage that went on where it went was it rough seas was it calm seas all of the temperature swings were there temperature swings which all of those things are supposed to help affect flavor and age and stuff new so, flavor profiles yeah, on every yeah, 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 voyage yeah. it's pretty freaking cool okay there it is. Th- th- that's a mom said I could have one. No, I'm just teasing. She's not teasing me. But I'm thinking I'm gonna just do one tonight. Yeah. Which so, you made it a healthy one. You didn't even show your pour on no, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was two fingers. It was a two fingers. It was an impressive pour. Yeah, yeah. Usually I just pour like twelve sippers. I just poured one sipper tonight. Well, if you, you, got, if you, you only, also oh know you like this that stuff. stuff is delicious. So. <laughs> if you're gonna drink one, make it a good one. That's what I'm saying. That's Not right. Quite the two finger pour, but the two two finger pour. So hold on, folks. Stuff's about to get ramped up. But I did want to mention something else. We do some training seminars throughout Ooh, the year. Last year, God. those training seminars kind of got pushed off onto the COVID. back burner. COVID. We all know about the problems that that COVID. caused. And so this year, the beginning of the year, with a new baby on the way, and then yep. arriving. Our training schedule, training seminar schedule is a little unsure. We usually do stuff in the spring and then plan some stuff for the summer. And so this time we have a training seminar in July, one in August and one in September. And then we're pretty much done for the year because we're into hunting season and there's not a ton of extra time from hunting trips and guiding and all the things. Where do we find the schedule for this? (laughs) On our online store as well. You can just search training seminars 
and all three of the training seminars will pop up. The first one that's coming up in just over a week and a half is on a trained retrieve seminar. It will be inside in the air conditioning and you'll get to watch some demo work with some dogs that are going through the process as well as some finished dogs that have done the process and then also work with your dog or if you just want to observe, that's an option as well. Yep. Um, lots of options. You can observe, you can come with somebody, you can bring more than one dog, all the things. It gives you selection options. It will Same be with all, all things seminars. retrieving. All things retrieving. Okay. So we had a couple people reach out and say, hey, can I bring my puppy? Well, yes, you can. The puppy is not going to go through the trained retrieve process at that point. But we can do some basic introduction things, which are going to make a huge difference. We have a, a we're big fans of the impression stage, right? So it's in, when that puppy is young, let's introduce them to some things. And then they're more prepared for them later in life. The other side of it that I want to do is talk about the importance of marking drills and other stuff. So we're going to try and squeeze some of those things in in the morning when it's still cool. And then we'll be in the AC the rest of the day where it's going to be hot. And I've got a table. We've got lots of space. We'll probably end up scotching the table out because it'll get yeah. a little. We've got move it out in the training area where we can. Yep. Yeah. So have a little bit more lots of viewing room. area. Yep. Lots of room. And. But it's um, nice when you know where the training is going. So if you wanted to come with a puppy, yep. yes, we can do some basic intro stuff in a sense of getting puppies comfortable on the table, working through some things. But most of the benefit of that is going, this is where I want my puppy to be. What can I do now to start developing the right behaviors to make this process so much smoother and so much easier? Now, uh, the last thing with that is I actually have one, two, three, four, four dogs, four or five dogs that are at different places in the training. Um, and I'm continuing to help them progress and they'll be wherever they are come training day. But some of that introductory work is going to be at the, um, the ability to put everybody's dogs in that are prepared for this up on the table, trying to help you get me in your back pocket for some of those beginning steps, or if you're in the process now, struggling, need some help, hands-on right here. I've done uh, probably approaching thousand of them or more, a lot. And every single one of them is different and having hands-on and starting to kind of learn the process of how to help the dog and how to critically think about what's going on and how to approach each training day. Um, and then the last thing that we're going to say about that is there are only a couple spots left, I believe. So if you're interested, get signed up sooner rather than later. There's only, it's not this weekend, but the weekend after. So it's a short window. Away. Yeah, 10 days. Um, you got to get signed up pretty quick. And there will be a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. So Yes. And then we're just about ready to jump into the topic on hand of shotguns. Yep. But... Uh, we Just did get a, a super chat, yep. yep, and I wanted to remind everyone, we see your super chat, we are going to get to your super chat, but we always have started this out recently with our topic, then get to our questions at the end, so. And questions will be answered in priority of super chat, so if you are wanting to bop yours up to the top, um, where is Ethan's drink? Hey, it's here now, okay? It's here now. Um, if you want your question to pop to the top, throw in a super chat, and we will make sure we get to it. All right, so shotguns, one of my favorite things. Um, I want to talk about beginner shotguns, then we're going to talk about the shotguns that Kat and I use, and then we'll talk about some um, extra things that if you're looking for the fancy schmancy, maybe the direction you could go, and I will caveat that with, I do not own a single fancy schmancy shotgun when it comes to fancy schmancy shotguns. I've shot, handled, held, felt them, and uh, we'll get into my thoughts specifically on a lot of them when we get there. So first and foremost, um, any shotgun can work for you. If you are looking for a single gun, you're on a budget or you're looking for your first gun, I'm going to tell you right now that 99% of things that you could hunt with your bird dog in the United States can be killed with a 20 gauge. I have done it. Um, 
On the flip side of that, if you have any desire to hunt geese and big geese, a 12 gauge is going to be beneficial to you. Like when you went crane hunting. Yeah. I struggled to reach out and touch where they happened to be. If they came in range closer, you know, inside about 40 yards, it was no problem. Lights out. But outside that, you know, you're more on that realm of a better chance of wounding than actually killing. And I don't enjoy that. So I wait, but if they aren't working, having that 12 gauge and be able to reach out there, same thing with geese and especially big geese. If you've got, um, Canada's they're big. Okay. Or there's quite a few of them that are big and you need to now with all of those things being said, I am a big fan of, uh, a lot of folks talk about break open guns as being the safest option. I don't, a hundred percent necessarily agree with that. I think any uh, firearm operated properly is going to be just as safe as the other, but semi-automatics are easy to use. Pumps, I think are the most difficult to use. Now, some of you guys out there, gals, anything else have only shot pumps and only know how to pump and are pump, pump it up, pump it up. But, um, me, I'm a huge fan of semi-automatics because they help with recoil, which takes the load off of you, especially being a beginning shooter. That can help a lot. It can prevent um, too much kick, too much recoil eating can create bad shooting habits. Things like flinching or jerking. Um, you do pull a trigger rather than squeeze a trigger, but you still have to be in control of that process. And if you're doing one of these, um, that's gonna automatically throw you a half an inch or an inch the other direction. So I had my first shotgun, um, actually one at a turkey banquet. Um, Let's see here. Give me just one second. I'm going to help grandma for a second. Okay. You talk about your first shotgun, babe. My first shotgun was a 410. The stock was sawed off a little bit to make it more youth model style. Um, And that's what I got to shoot dove with. That's what I got to go pheasant hunting with. I mean, you think about throwing the pattern of a 410 out there and actually being successful as a first time youth hunter, uh, my dad made it a little rough on me, if you think about it, actually. Um, he also made me learn how to drive a stick shift in a, I think it was probably a 69 Ford, four-speed, and he wouldn't let me start in first gear. So it was also tough. I think that that made me a better um, driver and had a lot more control when it came to shifting. Uh, but same can be said for shooting. Um, having a 410, trying to shoot little dove that are very erratic flight patterns and such, um, probably made me a little bit better shooter as well. I punk punky nicks. Um, so that was my first shotgun. Uh, and then graduated into a 20 gauge when I was a little bit bigger and could handle a 20 gauge a little bit more. It wasn't a youth model. Um, and then moved on to staying in a 20 gauge and, um, got my first, 20 gauge from Ethan, um, as a, not my first, but my first that wasn't my dad's, shall we say, um, when we started training and we had the first shotgun that we had as a training gun was actually a 20 gauge single shot. I don't even remember what it was. Ethan probably knows the brand, but it was a single shot break open cheap, like $85 gun, um, that we got from the gun shop. And we used that in training. Uh, that was a horrible gun to shoot in a sense of the, um, like sight plane was a little off, a lot off. So then when you went from shooting that to like your gun that you planned on hunting with a semi-automatic or something else, and it was like, wow, I am terrible until you kind of got, um, into a groove again about how to shoot the other gun. So once we got to a point where we're like, Hey, we can afford to get ourselves a nicer gun. That's going to carry over from training to actually hunting, not this, you know, run of the mill, $85 single shot, uh, shotgun. We actually got our Beretta silver pigeons and we use their break open guns and we use those in dog training. And that is because in dog training, 
like Ethan was mentioning before, safety is important, of course, and you can be safe whether using a brake open or a semi-automatic, but I like from a dog training standpoint, that brake open gun, because I can balance it on my shoulder when I need two hands to handle things. You can't really do that when you've got a semi-automatic. It's You kind of need one hand on it, or you're tempted to lay it down on the ground, and that's where things don't stay safe. Um, the other side of that is um, with that break open gun, you know, I, if I've taken two shots, it's empty. There's nothing left in it. Um, with a semi-automatic, if I've taken two shots, there might still be one in it. Or if I've only taken one shot, I can easily pull that other shell um, on that break open, or I have to cycle through and get the other two shells out of it if I need to lay my gun down to handle a dog or something like that. So that's why um, I specifically prefer a break open gun when it comes to actually handling and training the dogs, um, as well as when we are at some of these hunt tests, having a break open gun is kind of a requirement um, so that we can swing on the bird and break it open and again, have it in the field with us. Um, Not necessarily shooting any of the birds at those hunt tests. Um, That's not something that they have the handler do. They have gunners for that specific purpose. But that's why... um, we went with the break open and the Beretta 626, 686, 686. Sounds like you were nailing it as always. Too many numbers. 686 or 626? 686. Ha! I was wrong right. Right wrong. And then Ethan painted his pink, which if you are curious about the origin of the pink gun story, there is a video on that. Go back. Watch it. He's got to search it. Standing stone, pink gun origin story or something to that effect. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And then we started going to hunt tests and I would use that gun and all the people would give me a hard time. Oh, your pink gun. That's so cute. And I'm like, it's actually my husband's gun. So then Ethan got me my very own as a push present when I had Aiden. Pretty awesome push present. Well-deserved. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy process, folks. Um, so Kat got to tell the beginning stages of things there a little bit. And I wanted to jump into the first shotgun that I ever got. I got really lucky and I, I wanted it. It was a scholarship thing. It's the Kansas one shot turkey hunt. It is a um, tourism based event for the state of Kansas to raise funds and draw attention to cool things that happen in Kansas, like the fact that there are turkeys. It's a contest, and then they have a scholarship program where they bring on anywhere from six to seven um, youth hunters, had to write an essay, all the things, and then it's a huge donation deal, uh, shotguns, hunting clothes, lifetime hunting license to the state of Kansas, which is freaking cool because at that time I was 17 years old, so I've had a lifetime hunting license for a long time, and then the... But it was a TriStar Arms uh, semi-automatic shotgun. And TriStar makes a fantastic middle-of-the-road shotgun. Entry-level, if you will. I don't even say middle-of-the-road. It's entry-level, but they are quality. They're a little heavier. They're just a smidgen slower as far as action goes. Um, But it's a G2 Viper. The one that I had was a... I don't know, the before that option. Right now, it's the G2 Vipers. And if you've seen that little um, exhibition shooting video that I put together, it's about that specific shotgun. And it's that's the new one from the original that I had. But it is five to $700, give or take, if you can get one. And they are great. Kids, um, men, women trying to save a buck and get into it. Absolutely fantastic shotgun. Operate like tanks. I mean, they're just really consistent, consistent. like not jamming. No. And good guns, really, really good guns. But I wore mine out. I shot it all the time. In the beginning, I shot it training. I shot it hunting. I shot it screwing around. I shot it for everything because I only had the one shotgun and I wore it out. It's um, now just worn out. I still have it. I'm not going to get rid of it. So the, then we moved into, I'd gotten the opportunity to shoot Beretta. Now, there are two bigger, in my opinion, middle-of-the-road shotgun companies, and that's Beretta and Benelli, and there are a lot others, but you're going to see some pretty major differences as far as fit from what I've seen handling them. And although guns can be fitted to you, it's going to be more cost-effective and better if you can find a gun that fits you off the shelf so you don't have to really mess with the custom fitting if you don't 
you know, if you can't afford it, if you can't afford it, go do it. It's perfect. The gun will be completely fitted to you. And if you're a new shooter, that makes you all the better right off the bat. But essentially, when you mount and where you feel comfortable, I've talked about this a little bit before. If you mount to your cheek, as opposed to mounting to your shoulder and moving your head to the shotgun, which a lot of people do. Um, if you mount to your cheek, this distance never changes, but this distance changes a lot. So that kind of movement's going to require... We have another video on that. We do. But um, so mount to the cheek. And if you when you pull up, if it doesn't fit naturally and feel like you can look down right down that rib, see the the bead and do all of the things. Like when I shoot a Benelli over and under or even semi-automatic, I would have to uh, use their adjustment things. The way it comes stock does not fit how I hold my gun, but a Beretta of any kind pops right up in there. So part of that could be what I've shot them more and I've adjusted the way I shoot to the way that gun fits or it's just what fits better for me. So I'm saying, Try them, find what fits and feels the best to you. Then as you are looking through those things, you're going to be looking price range. I talked before, can TriStar is a really good entry level gun. It's going to be five to 700 bucks. The Beretta guns are going to be anywhere from maybe 15, $1,600. You get a good deal on one to 25 in their entry level stuff. They have some really expensive things. And when you get into those more expensive things, the primary difference is, not all the differences. The primary differences are going to be wood grade, which doesn't affect the way the gun shoots, just the way the gun looks, as well as tooling or engraving on the actual metal. So again, fancy schmancy stuff that doesn't change it. I shoot all field grade guns. They're just run of the mill and they're less expensive that way. And we do take care of our guns, but they're in the field with us a lot. When we're dog training, and you do happen to set one down and a dog runs over it and scratches the crap out of the stock, or I'm pretty sure Jess has dropped her shotgun in the gravel lots of times. It definitely doesn't hurt quite as bad when it's the field grade stock than if you had a much more pricey gun out there. Now I heard Kat mentioning this and it's a valid point. I said in the beginning, you know, all of them are just as safe as the other, but from a dog training standpoint, there's a lot of times where you kind of need an extra hand and breaking that gun open and setting it on the ground guarantees it's not going to go off. So from a dog training standpoint, I always utilize a break open shotgun. Typically when we are quail hunting, I utilize a break open shotgun. When we are pheasant hunting or other um, northern upland game aspect of stuff. I a lot of times they'll use. Well, let me just caveat that. When we are pheasant hunting, I primarily use the semi-automatic, and the reason for that a lot of times comes into the fact that um, there are opportunities that I have killed more than one bird off of a rise. They tend to grump uh, group up pretty big, and they're tougher birds. They're wilier, so having an extra shot makes me feel a little better. Um, how many birds have I killed on the third shot? I don't know. Probably not very many, but I have finished off birds on a third shot or another bird will surprise jump after the fact. So there's a few things like that, that I like three shots in a semi-automatic. I don't carry five or six like the guns can, and it is legal to do that. Um, in most States, check your eggs, but, um, I don't do that. Just three is plenty. So um, but anytime grouse woods, I typically utilize a break open gun because of the fact that we're trying to shoot pointed birds. That's really the main way you're going to get close enough to them. And there's lots of sticks and crawling through the woods. I mean, it's, it's nice to have that as an option with quail typically use the break open shotgun as well. It's, um, again, some more controlled type environment. They typically hold a little better depending on exactly which species and the the ability that the dog has that's hunting with you. And um, so you've got time to close your gun up, walk in, flush birds, shoot them. So that's uh, why it's most often referred to as the gentleman's, you know, hunting with bird hunting. So um, when we move into waterfowl stuff, a lot of times you're utilizing semi-automatic and that goes hand in hand with the size of load that goes in the gun. 
Typically, you're using something bigger to try and knock them down because they downgrade your quality of ammunition by having you use non-toxic unless you're willing to break off and sell your firstborn child's left leg for some stuff like bismuth or tungsten. Or, we won't be doing that. Well, you never know. We might need some tungsten. And come on, he's got two. Um, But those loads get heavy. And most semi-automatic shotguns are designed better to eat some of that recoil. If you're going to shoot those things through an over and under shotgun, it's going to beat the snot out of you. Um, as well as some, depending on the specific barrel and the specific gun, aren't going to allow you to shoot those through. You got to check your chokes. You got to check your barrels. Make sure everything is um, kosher with the round that you're shooting through them. And um, I'm a. I was gonna throw this in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm a smaller statured woman. Um, so finding a gun that fits comfortably for me, um, I I said originally, and I forgot, I forgot that Ethan had actually originally got me a 20 gauge shotgun back when we lived in Minnesota. That Fausty. Oh yeah. And yeah, I yeah. couldn't shoot that worse. Stuff. Yeah, and surprisingly enough, that that comes back to the conversation about fit, right? Yeah, exactly. So That's what I'm it saying. It just didn't fit it didn't you. Fit. Um, the I, other side of it that I didn't mention: over and unders have a, a cast to them, and that's a lot of times what you're fitting to the guns. It's it's pretty not noticeable, um, but it's designed to help from an eye alignment and all of those kind of things. Um, and some guns just don't fit you. And period. so that's why I was saying. That wasn't my first, the Benel, the the Beretta 686 wasn't my first shotgun that Ethan got me. It was the second, but the first one didn't work out. So we ended up moving it along. Um, we actually didn't even keep it. No. Because I couldn't shoot it. And I don't think you could really shoot it all that well either. Uh, so, I didn't like it as much as the other ones. Yep. Yeah. So we decided not to keep it and get something else. Um, and then I remember... <laughs> Do you remember just the funny story about another shotgun, that 28 gauge side by side? Oh yeah. There's a story behind that old word. Uh-huh. So we actually had a English, English pointer, pointer mm-hmm. named Jenny. Jenny or Jenny, depending on which papers you looked at. I like Jenny better. I thought it was. I always very, just very refer to, pointer. she was from the South. So I was referred to her as Jenny. Uh, with the, know, with whatever. an accent. She listened to better if you tried to throw some southern accent. And that was a horrible example. But Jenny um, is what I usually called her. So it's a fun story with that. She was at the facility I was training at. And the gentleman had a pretty tough love kind of scenario. It was like if the dog doesn't make the cut, the dog goes away. And he didn't care as much about that. 100% don't agree. Okay. So I said, well, if the dog's just going to, I said, I'd take the dog. I was young, you know, ready to put the time in. And we took this um, kennel raised started pointer into the house. And she spent probably close to six months. I would like crawl her up on my lap. The you will love me except with an adult dog. And she would just be like stiff legged, eyes wide open, blah, can't, uh, cannot compute. And then it became her favorite thing to do. She'd come in the house. She'd just jump up on my lap and curl up. Oh my God, I love the cuddles. And we made her a house dog, but it took a lot of time for her to really get comfortable with that. But she was very sweet. And um, though we rescued her in a sense and turned her around, we just didn't have the space living in town to have another dog at the time. So we ended up moving her on. Yeah. Sold her. And I tried and tried and tried. And I'm going to tell you right now. So I took this dog down to Texas with me, hunted her. Um, I will say to this day, still probably the most heat tolerant and one of the nicest quail dogs that I've over hunted over in my entire life. If it was 70 degrees or hotter, that's when she shined. But if you hit like 45, she would be hunched up and bristled up and be like, oh my God, it's so cold. It's so cold. It's so cold. Bring back the heat, baby. And she would. She'd run two and a half hours when it was over 70 degrees and not miss a beat. It was insane. Love the dog. Absolutely love the dog. And um, I grew pretty fond of 
the idea of pointers. It was in the early stages. We hadn't really made a hundred percent decision, just liked bird dogs, like doing the thing. We owned a short hair. Now we owned a pointer. And then I went, I'll flip her, make a little extra money. It's in the stages early, need some money. Everybody does. And I was in the dog business. So I'm learning this, right? And I try and sell her and post her on the sites and didn't get any offers. Didn't get any offers. And I'm talking. And this dog is experienced. This is a nice a dog, house dog. Yep. Two and a half, house trained, points, steady, uh, retrieves to hand, backs all day. I mean, she'd lock up, go make a sandwich, right? Come back. She's still standing there on point, whether it's just really, really nice dog. I sold her for $500 cash. Um, a Dan Wesson, not Smith and Wesson, Dan Wesson, um, Smith and Wesson's partner, something, something there. There's gun fanatics that'll know exactly, but Dan Wesson, uh, 357 Magnum, Dirty Harry style, six inch barrel, right? Um, Super practical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not, right? I just was like, good God, I need to move this dog along. And uh, and then a, it's either pronounced Bakel or Bikel or Bikel, Bake, Bike, Burke, B A I K L or E L or something, Bakel, um, 28 gauge, side by side. And, uh, it's a Russian made, maybe gone. Um, I think they, they retail for like 400 bucks or something like that. So between the pistol and the shotgun and the $500 cash, I think that equated to approximately 11 or $1,200 for a fully finished house trained bird dog. And very experienced dog, but anyway, when we say there's no money in trained dogs, there's no money. There really in isn't. It, there really dogs. isn't. Now, um, specific models, we had a quick question some folks missed or we didn't say. Um, over and under is a Beretta 686. It's the Silver Pigeon, and there's Silver Pigeon 1, 2, 3, 4, 5s in different grades of woods and whatever, but they're essentially all the same makeup as far as parts and whatever. Silver Pigeon, Beretta 686. Um, then there is the. A400 Extreme, A400 Explore, and A400 Excel. We have one from each of the models. The Extreme is 12 gauge only. The Explore, we have a, we each have a 20, no. I have 120 gauge. And then I, you have I had the, 120 gauge that he turned pink. So yep. then I got the Excel, which came with the blue uh-huh. metal. Which is more which of a sporting, like a mm-hmm. sporting clays gun because it's got weights and adjustable things, but it's the same frame, it's same pretty. model. Yeah, it is pretty. And um, and then, so my 12 gauge is the extreme. The We have the explorers, which are the 20 gauges. And then the we both have side-by-sides. And those are the, that's the extent of the shotguns. I don't have some vast collection Cat has her first shotgun from her dad, but it never gets shot. No, I don't shoot that anymore. It's heavy. Like, I don't want to hunt with that thing. So much It's like an exhausting workout bringing it through the field. But that's what I started out with after the 410. And then um, you have a, what's that? It's a 28 gauge Mm, silver pigeon. I just got that. Yeah, so exact same. Um, It's a 686 silver pigeon. 28 gauge. So now I have the the 28 and the 20. And I would love to add someday a 410 to that collection. A 410, 686. I don't know when it'll happen. It's a relatively impractical gun because the ammo is expensive and hard to get. All ammo is hard to get right now, but that ammo is even harder to get. Yeah. Or I would train with that every day. Be like, ooh, 410. No, it's it's really not that bad. They're easy shots, and it makes you hone in your skills. And, and typically with pen-raised birds and these hunting, these training scenarios that we're going through, the birds, we're kicking them up. It's not wild birds flushing ahead of us, and it's a controlled, close situation. And sometimes a 20-gauge is too much, and you got to really let those birds get out there a ways before you take a shot so you don't blow them up. Bockle. Bockle. B-A-H-C-A-L. Thank you. Thank you very much. B-A-I-K-A-L. Yep. And I thought Bikel or Bockle. Yeah, something. Something similar in there. Yeah. I appreciate it, guys. Um, and then I had some questions about choke tubes, okay? So this is the biggest thing that I see an issue with, especially when we get the idea to 
Uh, I do still have the TriStar Viper G2 when we get Burper. Sorry, that was kind of mushy. Um, the TriStar Viper G2 or G2 Viper, I think is actually what it is. Um, maybe one way or the other. I still do have the 20 gauge. It's pink. It's cool. It was actually donated by uh, Spare Change Defense. So if you have the idea in your head, I have to watch uh, YouTube listens to this stuff and they can get angry. I'm not uh, recommending that you buy firearms at all. We're just talking statistics here, okay? Um, if you check out, though, sparechangedefense.com, it may be a site that may be able to help you in your search for the potential of more information and with an end goal. Let's leave it at that. Figure out what your end goal yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read between the lines here, okay? So last but not least, choke tubes. And this is the biggest thing that I see from a guiding standpoint. People are like, oh, I need full chokes in there when I'm upland hunting. And first and foremost, there aren't, there's a lot of guys out there that are really good shots. And some of you probably use full chokes and do all of the things. And it's fantastic. But there are more people out there, I believe, that don't need that. And what you end up with is either you're trying to take shots that put you in the um, unethical category and you are crippling more birds than you are killing, or you're clean missing because your pattern is still too small on those closer birds, or you're blowing a hole in the dang thing, which again, in my eyes, falls more into the unethical category. You're wasting, right? It's uh, because that bird is not going to be eaten. It's got a hole through the breast and the legs and the whole thing's just blown to smithereens. Um, so essentially it's, it's a, it's a waste, right? We're out there to hunt with our dogs. We're out there to harvest birds, but let's utilize what we're doing, um, to be able to eat and do all of the other things. It's not just throwaway stuff. Conservation so, of game. Absolutely. All the things. Absolutely. So I late season shoot a modified choke with three inch number sixes out of my 20 gauge. That's what Kat shoots because she shoots whatever I put in the truck. Number threes. Um, I know what brand they are. What brand are they? Kent. Why do we shoot Kent? Because they sponsor us and they're really good ammo. They do sponsor us, but um, it is quality ammo. And, and they have poppers, which I know a lot about the poppers. Okay, because from a judging standpoint through Navda, we utilize blanks for multiple parts of the test. When you're in the natural ability test, there's a gunner that shoots a couple blanks when you're in the field with that puppy to judge for gun sensitivity. When you're at the higher levels of testing with utility or UPT, they're shooting blanks when it's part of the steadiness sequence by the blind. They're shooting blanks when you're doing your duck search. So I'm proficient on blanks and there are some blanks out there that are so loud. It's, I have Blow gun, I have gun sensitivity. 100%. Um, there's also blanks out there that are so inconsistent that one is so loud and the very next blank is like, pew, pew. you can hardly hear else. it. And it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. inconsistent. Um, and I really like the pro trial blanks from Kent because they are very consistent. They always go off. They're not crazy loud. They're very accurate to the actual sound of what a shotgun blast would be. Um, so definitely I like the blanks and the rest of the ammo because Ethan puts it in the truck. So the other side of things, early season, I typically, this sounds a little, I typically shoot two and three quarter inch. Okay. A little bit lighter. It's not as necessary. And then I move up to fives. So you're packing a punch with a little bit lighter load, still kind of balances things out. And I shoot improved cylinder. Most of the early season stuff, uh, I'm talking, um, starting in September, we're talking the grouse seasons, um, improved cylinder for dove. If we get the opportunity to do that, improved cylinder for, that's pretty much the only thing that's open for upland aspect of things. And then early season pheasant, even improved cylinder is more than enough. I got the opportunity to shoot with a couple of the earlier season groups this last year and it was improved cylinder was more than enough. Okay. I shot my birds to help with the the group. There's not party hunting, so I can only shoot three. Right. And, uh, it's, it's one of those deals that the 
improved cylinder is more than enough. And what you should be doing specifically, every gun's a little different. Every ammo's a little different. You should be patterning your shotgun. Get an idea to see what it looks like. And it also gives you a really good mental picture. If you shoot all that shot right at a piece of paper or cardboard or something that you can see where it hits at 20 yards, at 30 yards, at 40 yards, and the size of gaps that get in between your shot, it's going to give you a better realization of maybe I shouldn't take that shot because my pattern is this big and there's holes the size of my head or pheasants in them. And then the other side of it would be, you know, maybe I shouldn't shoot that close because it's still this big, right? All of those things help to open your eyes and understand better what your gun is specifically doing and find the best stuff that works for you. I think that's about it we've got that we've got on shotgun. That's it, I'm tapped out. I don't know anything else about shotguns. Well, that's probably a lie, but I think that we can probably get to answering some questions. Let's answer some dog questions. That's why people come here anyway. That's why I'm here anyway. Just kidding. Now I this, saw, folks, is delicious. I see that. You're just sucking it right down there. Mm, I'm looking for the first one. There it is. hey okay. From Spurs and Fur Outdoors. Thank you again. We appreciate every week, it seems like, you throw a super chat Definitely. in there. We really appreciate it. I actually can pronounce your name now. I used to do... Spurs and fun or spurs for fun. I don't know. I, that's what I could read from here. But I have a 14-week-old GSP started collar conditioning to recall. He does really good with it when then one time he'll just completely ignore it. What do I do? Well, that's honestly not that abnormal. Once you've got a dog that's really good at collar conditioning through vibrate to recall in those controlled environments, in that controlled situation, um, Sometimes that's just not enough in those higher distracting environments with more excitement going on, especially when they become more comfortable with the actual sensation of the vibrate. They can just ignore it more. And we sometimes need to utilize stimulation levels. That's called proofing the e-collar. We do have some videos out. Vibrate versus stimulation is one of the titles that I can recall. Um, I think we've done it a couple times and we've utilized showing the difference between a puppy that's not responding and listening to vibrate and having to transition to utilizing stimulation to get the desired response that we know that they understand and know how to do. Um, so when you're in those higher distracting environments, you're probably going to need to use stimulation, but it's important to proof the collar first in a enclosed environment. So basically the same way you started collar conditioning your puppy to recall with vibrate, you need to revisit that and utilize the vibrate to begin with. And even if they're responding, we still need to switch over and utilize some stimulation, low levels to make sure that that puppy still is going to respond properly to that stimulation. So that the first time that they feel that stimulation isn't in a high distraction environment, and then they lose their mind or get overwhelmed um, and can't figure out how to shut that stimulation off. Because again, it's negative reinforcement-based training. And if they start flipping out because there's too much going on and they can't figure out what you want from them, and then you turn that collar off, you've just reinforced that coming to you isn't what shut the collar off. It was freaking out or acting strange, um, having an adverse reaction to that collar that shut that collar off. So, Two things real quick. I wanted to mention because uh, we didn't and forgot to earlier. In the past, we've had monetization on this live video and it pops up for a advertisement every so often, which I heard was way more often than it should be. And I wanted to say, because all of you do the super chats, we really, really appreciate that. We dumped the monetization off for the live stream so y'all can watch ad free. So, Thank you. This is just a thank you for the super chats and a a reminder of why we have shut off ads. Again, thank you very much for that. Now, as the replayers, the folks that aren't here live, suck it. You get ads. So, um, but we love you, and we still appreciate your support and subscribe. So, (laughs) yeah, we love you. We love you, but you'd be way cooler if you could be here live with us um, because there's no ads. The uh, next thing that I saw in here that I wanted to touch on really quick, which is, are you going to be at Game Fair this year? And the answer to that is, yes, I will be. First weekend only. First weekend only. Okay. At the DT Systems booth. Second weekend, I'll be in... Kansas at a 
seminar. Yeah, we're having a dog training seminar. Um, but I'm not able to go this year because I've got two little ones. And I think, first of all, Cade's only going to be about four months old at that point. And Too Aiden's going to be just under three and no air conditioning and lots going on. I think it would be a bad setup. 100%. We want to set ourselves up for success, and that wouldn't be it. Next question is from Soren Goodman. Hey, can you help me with my 18-week-old GSP puppy? That's a fun age. I need you guys to help me with what I should be, excuse me, sorry, teaching him right now and what he should know. Okay, so this is a really interesting question and one that happens all the time. We're in the process. We've been trying to find a way to do this for a while. And you probably think we sound like a broken record. It is. It's tough. This is a giant project. Imagine like the biggest project you've ever worked on and then that's this, okay? And you're doing that project while you're still doing all the other projects. Everything else. So it's tough. Now, the thing that bothers us the most is that there is no direct step-by-step alphabetical order, A through Z for every dog. With this age this age, this age. It's not practical and it's not accurate for how to work your dog. But I do understand your position 100%. What should I be doing? I don't really know. I need to know because I want to help with my dog to move through the things. First of all, I can recommend going to our YouTube channel. Go to the playlist section. And then in the playlist section, we created a new area called puppy training playlists or puppy basic playlists or puppy I was trying to make it more searchable. Uh-huh. Um, so if, I you probably can't see this, but if you yeah, are all, on your but. phone and you go to the playlists, the first three are part of our regular playlists. And then there's a little arrow button that you can tap that goes to the rest of our playlists. But if you're just at that playlists page, right underneath those three playlists and that little arrow is all of our puppy training playlists. So... Puppy Puppy training training playlists. Those are step-by-step from eight weeks to 12 months. Now, so that you aren't confused, the retriever-based training series will fit your short hair and vice versa. Look for personality. Pretty much the development is about the same, minus when you get to the pointing versus the flushing aspect of things. Um, It's more or less the same in the first 12 months, okay? Check out all of those, find the closest personality to your dog, and then try and follow that along. That's going to help give you a little more direction, and we do put in 99% of those videos, the dog's age, what we've done, prerequisites, um, some preview or some uh, videos that show progress reports, like, look, we're putting all these things together now. So it's a really good visual guide of what we did for the first 12 months of the dog's life. Now... I saw Mike Lardy, big retriever trainer, has an approach that's a little bit different. It's called a training flow chart. And I was like, bingo. I've and been we've looking used for the thing. flow charts before. Yeah, I've, I've been looking for the thing, and this is the thing. So we will be moving in the direction of a PDF flow chart that directs you to videos and putting it all together pretty quick. Can your puppy do this? Yes. Move to this. If your puppy can't and you answer no, go back to to this this (laughs) and then try this. So trying to create a flow chart that makes sense and is coherent and helps to direct you when it doesn't really talk about age because age isn't as important in a majority of situations. Especially if you get a, you know, five-month-old that you start with or a rescue dog. You can still start at the beginning. Just those ages aren't going to be completely relatable. Yes, absolutely. Really good question. Um, Cole Kemp. Ah, here we go. I know sometimes people put these super chats Mm -hmm. in and then it's like, oh, I did it wrong, but he put his message. 19-week-old GSP Goose. Love the name. During a bird intro with a quail... Uh, after being able to get a bird, he would not give the bird up. It's like he's regressed back into resource guarding thoughts. No, 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 no. This is a good thing, okay? He wants the bird. It's a very high value. Exact words. Exact words that I needed there. Thank you. Um, And that means that it's important. That also means that it's going to help you to, to benefit in training. There's a couple little things. Don't worry about that. That vice grip is important. If the dog will come back to you, that would be the question. If the dog won't come back to you, um, utilize a check cord, 
also start some collar conditioning probably in this vicinity about ready for it. And you're on our YouTube channel. We just shot a video with Shock, who's oh my around 16 months or 16 weeks, excuse me. It's old. ridiculous. And it was a retrieving video. Had her on a check cord because she's not collar conditioned yet. She's had a huge regression. And she's had a huge regression because she doesn't want to bring it back to us anymore. She's like, Meh, I'm just going to keep this for a while. Bumpers, and birds, she's any of it. on the bumpers, got a vice grip. So Ethan goes through how you can work through that. And then because we saw how much, even just with that check cord, wasn't quite enough. We shot another video with her on collar conditioning to recall, which yep. should be going out probably next week. Next week. So those are two videos that will be very beneficial for you, Cole. Same approximate age, same situation that we're dealing with with shock that can be applied to what you're looking for. Um, and I wanted to mention on Soren's question as well. If you need more specific feedback and more direction on where to go, if your puppy's ready for the next step, things like that, Patreon is a really good resource because we can watch a training session of your puppy and say, no, you're not ready to move on or your puppy's got this down pat. You should be moving forward um, and give you specific videos to look at um, other recommendations. So it's a really good resource. Yeah. Patreon, uh, that dog training community is the most powerful tool that we have to offer you, which is our experience and eyes on your situation. Direct feedback from pros. All right. Next one we've got here. I do want to mention there. uh, Soren Goodman said, uh, here's another dollar. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate it. Hey, don't pull my cord out, goofball. Um, and then Ironside Pointers. Awesome. If two puppies play well together, is it beneficial to use their playtime for gun conditioning? Okay, that's a very interesting question. And the key to gunfire conditioning is that you have a distraction, right? We don't want the dogs to be focused on the sound. If they show attention to the sound, you need to slow down until you have a true, um, you know, essentially full conditioning process that the sound doesn't mean anything. Then once we start killing birds over them, again, that noise means something and it should pump them up. Exciting. But in the beginning stages, if they show anything at all. Any reaction, whether it's just turning to look at the gunfire or stopping what they're doing, that's a reaction. And we want to slow down and take some steps back, find something else that can be a true react, like true distraction, something that's really exciting to them, which is typically why we use birds. Me personally, I feel like you could run into an issue because it's less predictable on exactly what's happening with those puppies where the retrieve, the bird, you can see the dog is actively on that specific thing. And time your shot appropriately, as well as see the reaction from the individual dog. If this is all you've got and you really feel like there's a shot, maybe try it once, but it would not be my go-to. And something that somebody had just brought up to me because they sent me a video to evaluate of their puppy retrieving a bird, doing a gunfire introduction, and I'm like, that puppy is paying attention. Your timing is off on your shot and you're too close couple of things were going on. They thought that the best time to shoot would be when the puppy was right over that bird, getting ready to pick it up because they were the most focused on that bird. That is not the proper timing for the shot. The proper timing for the shot is when that bird or bumper is still in the air and that puppy is hard charging after it. Once That's they when get, they have the most focus for it. Yes. Once they get on it and they're over it and they're kind of thinking, oh, well, I'm here now. And they're making that decision of, should I pick at this? Should I pick it up? Should I play with it? What's going on? The excitement has decreased at that point. So you want to have that shot happen when the object is still in the air, creating that prey drive of chase it, catch it, get it. The last thing that I can add to that is um, it is a conditioning process like any other conditioning process, but a even slightly more important one. I'm doing a few short reps multiple times it's going to be a lot more beneficial than making a day. I did my gunfire day. Not good. Okay. Do two shots, maybe a third, make it random. Don't allow the dog to understand the pattern. Throw a bird. The dog chases it. No shot. Throw a bird. Dog still pumped. A shot. Throw a bird. No shot. And then you can evaluate, is the dog anticipating? Are they hiding something that maybe I'm slightly missing? 
And then, you know, having that randomizer in there is going to make a big difference. And if you see any slowdown out of your dog, you're done with the session. No more shots. Set up another one for our next weekend or whatever. Next question from Jake Gullickson. At what age do you start the trained retrieve process? Oh, did I miss one? No, nope. no. Okay. I just was okay. Train again, just a little bigger. Process. I think we need to do. Maybe this would help if we turn the freaking. There, there we go. It is. We had the the brightness way down, and it was like hardly any contrast. Perfect. Now I can actually read it without squinting. Um, so perfect. Much better. We typically recommend starting the train retrieve process around a year. That can be a few months shy of a year or any time over that year, but not much less than nine months typically because our dogs, especially short hairs that we're working with primarily and any other breeds like Bichlas or Brock Francais or Griffons, a lot of times are a little potentially even softer or slower to mature dogs than even those short hairs. So that year mark is a really good benchmark because we want those puppies and dogs to have the mental maturity and focus and fortitude to handle that level of formal training. I like it. Uh, one fun little comment in here, Jordan, the, what is that? V I Jordanville. I thought it was like a brief, like Jordan, the fifth or something, which is, it wouldn't be five. It'd be okay. Jordanville says, I now love bourbon because of this channel. Um, that's awesome. And I was going to say something, this is not, uh, this is not a guaranteed, but this is something that is in the works. I'm trying to make happen. She rolls her eyes because she thinks it's silly, but bourbon, bourbon. Okay. It's I'm like trying pigeons to get to me private. At this point. Yeah. I know pigeons. <laughs> Check my other channel out for the pigeon stuff. You pigeoners. It's going to be more active very soon. Got busy. We have priorities that fell the low man on the totem pole. Okay. We've got priorities, private. basically our new child. So that's, yeah, he's a priority hundred percent. Um, single barrel selects. You can buy an entire barrel, bottle it, and then you get a little custom label on there. I'm working on doing that for some bourbon for the, the guy with the pink gun bourbon. I won't be able to sell it cause I do not have a liquor license, but I'm working on giving it away. And then I'm the biggest hang up right now is a availability because it is kind of a select thing to get one. So I'm working on that aspect first and um, then being able to ship it to folks. I want to give it away on this show, give it away on other things. Uh, give it away. If you come out here, hell yeah. Uh, my select, I get to try a whole bunch of different barrels. Sounds horrible, but I will take one for the team and then pick, uh, what's my favorite and it'll have a fancy label on it. So, um, that's coming just for, for, just for y'all. Right. Um, next question we've got is from Cobb two, one, one, three. I have a GSP that is a little over eight months and he is super afraid of the kiddie pool and the large pool, but he loves the sprinkler and the hose. So a couple things. Have you done an actual like water introduction at a pond or a lake or anything like that? Or have you only exposed him to the kiddie pool, the big pool, which again, I don't know if that's like an above ground big pool, if that's an in ground big pool, uh, is your kiddie pool a blow up kiddie pool? Is your kiddie pool one of those like blue plastic kiddie pools? There's so many options. Um, And then the sprinkler and the hose. That's awesome that he loves the sprinkler and the hose, which isn't too abnormal, but it's kind of interesting um, because our dogs love the lake. They love the water. They love to swim. They hate the rain. Yeah. It's like they're made of sugar and they're going to melt, which is not the case. Um, And then we've had some dogs that are like so water love, water driven. Mandy used to like try and grab water out of the hose and eat it really fast. But- We've had other dogs like that as well. So a little more information would be helpful to know the situation, but a couple of things that I can just throw out there from a general information standpoint is water introductions. If you can get the puppy excited about retrieving and get in the water with them and have a nice gradual bank so that that transition is really smooth and easy is a really good way to make those water introductions positive. Um, just chucking a puppy into a above ground pool. Which chucking a puppy in a pool. Who would do that? Who would do such a thing, Ethan? Um, but I've never come on. Never. I know. 
You faked it though. Watch the spring water intro. Yeah, it's a good one. It was one. funny. It's a good one. Um, but those above ground pools, they don't have a gradual bank. Once that puppy's in, it's like immediate deep water, immediately have to start swimming. And then there's not really an easy access point to get out. So it's a confidence thing as well for those puppies. So that type of situation couldn't necessarily be, pot, you know, the perfect setup as well as like a kiddie pool. They might just be weirded out about the pool itself. Like, what is that? That's really weird. Or the pool, you know, they get in it and it makes some weird crunching noises when they're, you know, walking around in the bottom. Just random weird things can freak out a puppy until they get used to it. Um, And if they have a negative connotation, it's really important to, you know, not put emphasis on that and to try and build their confidence and redirect their focus. I think we had, it was either a patron or somebody else that just recently talked to me about their puppy is afraid of their pellet grill. And we're working through that right now. So puppies can be weirded out about the strangest things. We've yes. had puppies weirded out about tumbleweeds, weirded out about big giant rocks in a field. I mean, it they're puppies and it's important to get them past that, but that could be all that's going on right now as well. So more information. And if you'd like to reach out to us on Patreon to get us that, we can help you. Absolutely. Folks, I want to say uh, we've absolutely loved it. We've missed getting to chat with you in the evenings here and talk dog and hunting related stuff and then answer questions. And um, we plan to do this as often as we can. Try to do it on the weekly unless life the goal. Yeah, it's the goal. Um, As well as we're kind of in a good place from uh, life and baby standpoint. So more videos on the regular. I would expect those on the YouTube channel. And uh, without... Pretty much anything oh, one else. other last yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I have one last thing. We did our first Google Hangout with our patrons on Patreon. Oh, yeah. I think folks liked that. I think they liked it. If they and didn't, I was confused because they looked like they liked We enjoyed it. it. It was really fun. It took a little bit of learning to figure out our camera, headphone, audio system so that we could both hear what was going on and whatever, as well as... We didn't have help with a um, Cade because grandma was gone. So there was a little bit of distraction with the baby because um, he's still just getting his schedule figured out. And we're just getting our schedule figured out. And I swear, it seems like every time you get on the phone or start Yawa, it's like the kids are like, oh, mom and dad are distracted. This would be a time to fuss. And it sometimes <laughs> key the fussing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, folks, I'm out of bourbon. We got a fussy baby. We're out of time. Thanks for watching. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat the dog trainer. We'll see you in the next video.